podcasting platforms apple Podcasts, soundcloud podcast addict or stitcher i'm your party host dave ryan and i'm joined not this week by mark robinson who is away on assignment but i am joined by the man that i call in times of such crises the roman reigns of audio that is jack lazell jack how are you my friend um i wasn't available so is kurt angle okay instead that's great yeah yeah i would i would appreciate that awesome. how do you do fellow podcasters yeah exactly <laughs> I'm just like a dog that's like standing behind two guys looking cool. I think I know the next time we do a grab up what item number one will be because that was what a spectacle. <laughs> Pretty amazing. It's just <laughs> But go on, yeah. It's just the you know, if I, I this has completely derailed your podcast already. <laughs> but like the fact that you've got a guy, you know, who's going out to be in like one of the most like hideous matches in terms of potential for injury and you know people getting hit yeah. with chairs and ladders and tables guys smiling yeah, like that's just that's just a match with Seamus before you even throw in the weapons this is the guy smiling like it's his fucking first day at school or something just has like this broad <laughs> beaming grin like it, his l- yeah like like he's bringing his sons to prom yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Just, it was cute it's just bizarre but uh bizarre wrestling aside jack how was your week not bad mate Doing good not bad. I don't know if we're yeah. allowed to talk about other things on here, but... Uh, well, let, let's say uh, not things that are covered in other podcasts you and I may do sometimes. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. Um, so- um, but, I mean, I, usually usually this part of the show, the, the loose matter, we talk about, like, you know, films, TV, that sort of stuff. Oh, great. Uh, That's perfect. You've seen some films, haven't you? I, I saw, Dave. I saw Geostorm, mate. Yes! Yes! <laughs> oh, my I, 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 I am absolutely right. So, tomorrow, I have cleared off everything after lunchtime that's why i was so busy today when we were talking uh over messenger was that i loaded about 14 things onto today for me to do and my tumble dryer broke so i've been doing a load of shit today uh specifically so that tomorrow i can see the one-two punch of thor ragnarok and geostorm (laughs) and it's going to be an an incredible yeah it's going to be an incredible balancing act because if i don't do that the right way around i could end up having a very bad day yeah, but, uh, I suggest t- t- you watch Geostorm. I think if you watch Geostorm first, you may come out of there like Ragnarok is like Citizen Kane level <laughs> in its quality. T- tell me about uh, Geostorm starring Gerard Butler. Yeah, or is <laughs> what does Kermode call him? Uh, shut up, Butwad. <laughs> i don't even know how that started but i just absolutely accept it and every time i see his face on a poster like i don't think there's gerard butler i think there's shut up but what i find it very hard to say gerard butler in my normal accent i i always feel the need to say gerard butler gerard butler like like the football ramble used to say whenever they'd mention Alan McGregor, the goalkeeper. Alan McGregor. Alan McGregor. Exactly. Yeah. And is, there's something immensely satisfying about there's it. There's something like blue and white, half face painted, like 
riding into a horse to come and kill a yeah. bunch of my fellow countrymen yeah. about that name, yeah. isn't there? That 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 film was filmed about five minutes from my house, actually. <laughs> was it really? Yeah, it was out on the curra. <laughs> I just imagine the phone call. It's like, brr, brr. Uh, hi, uh, we're we're looking to film a film here. Oh, are you? Yeah, what's it about? It's it's a film where basically uh, Mel Gibson just fucking destroys a bunch of English people. Ah, come yeah. over here. You can do it for yeah. free. We'll make we're, it we're breakfast do a film. every day. We're, we're going to do a film where, where some Scotch lads beat the tar out of the English. It's like, great. <laughs> Let's extend the red carpet. But go on. G- we're not here for Braveheart. We're here for Geostorm. Give me the, the sick, deep scoops uh, on Geostorm. I mean, I don't, I don't want to ruin it for you at any potential. <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> so, so light spoiler warnings for the cinematic treat that is Geostorm ahead. Dave, it kind of feels like you ever watch those parody movies of like like scary movie or like I don't know disaster movie and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. It kind of feels like one of those, but not one of the good ones. So to start, like, there's so many things wrong with this movie. Like, there is literally something where if you every scene. You could just point at that and go, that's just fucked up right there. <laughs> like, it starts off the film and you see him, like, him and his brother, and you walk up, like, his brother walks up to him and it's, oh, I'm Gerard Butler, but I'm a bit American, so I'm a bit, you know. Like, he's got that voice, and his brother's like, hey, yo, what's up, man? His brother's from, like, fucking <laughs> Manhattan, like, the sort of dude that, like, stereotypically shouts, I'm walking here. <laughs> and he's his brother <laughs> and they apparently grew up together motherfucker looks about 20 years younger than gerard butler and that's a conservative estimate <laughs> like and and, and he, the first thing he does is like fires his own brother like this is the first five minutes of the movie and then it's like oh okay right well maybe there's going to be a bit of interesting conflict no let's just cut forward to when he rehires his brother <laughs> like three and a half years later or whatever <laughs> And then just, oh, Dave, just so much stupid stuff happens. Like, everything in the film. Like, at at first, you just get so annoyed. You're like, this is fucking stupid. On a level of just, I can't even, like, estimate whoever it was that came up with the majority of this. Like, if they didn't do it as a joke, if they did this solemnly and, like, sincerely, then I, I really don't know what to say, but... Uh, like just for instance like there's a scene in dubai right and it cuts to dubai what's the first thing you see is a guy in a fucking like turban riding a camel over some sand dunes and then underneath it just says (laughs) dubai (laughs) i was like what i did just trey and matt parker write this as a joke like and you just you think what the fuck like and the weather events man like so lightning because because like... loosely the story of this is that the weather has been weaponized <laughs> yeah this... oh my god there's a scene where he's like we invented the fucking best possible like security thing ever in the world and somebody turned it into a gun <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that on Kermode's review where he says something like, this is my life's work and someone has made it into a gun. Oh, God, that line. That I think that line might have been the pivotal point of the movie where I was just like, yep, yeah, I'm in. I'm like, I, I, I was out for a lot of this, but I'm, I'm in now. But- is it? Is, is it like the famous line is it the equivalent of the famous line from uh, 2012 that Darrow Brian has a routine about it was like the neutrinos 
have mutated. <laughs> yes, it is. Except yeah. dumber in in every oh, possible. Like they have just let me. I mean, let me just dis- <laughs> describe for you the sheer disregard for human life in this movie. Like if. <laughs> If if you were impressed with what happened in that Superman film, my God, like, you just... So the first, like, extreme weather event, I'm using inverted commas, that you see, like, this town in Afghanistan gets frozen, and of course, everyone in Afghanistan looks now, like... Is it in Af- is it in Afghanistan, or is it, like, in one of those action no, movie unspecified stand locations? It was in Nevada or somewhere, clearly, because it's like a town in, like, a sandy quarry. Anyway, everybody looks like a summer beloved all of the women have beards even like they've made it as fucking generically offensive as humanly possible but the deal <laughs> is everyone's frozen so like instead of like walking in there being like you know oh that's so sad all these people the first thing like you send like a team of american soldiers in there and one dude just walked up to one of the frozen afghani guys and just breaks his arm off and he looks at it and he's like oh man it's like it was nothing just like fucking breaks homeboy's arm off and just carries on walking so like the extreme weather events there's like an extreme lightning storm i swear to god like lightning strikes things and they just start exploding like it strikes a car it explodes it strikes like a fucking post box blows up it's like that that joke in, in family guy where the horse and cart gets involved in the car accident and the cart and then the horse explodes yeah it yeah it's exactly like that there's like a there's like a hailstorm one as well where like these giant boulders of hails like just come and squash people and like the whole way through the movie they're like oh there was another extreme weather event no mention of casualties because like the fatalities in this film must have been in the tens of millions like that is again another conservative estimate and like the whole time right and again i don't want to spoil it too much for you but there's like a point where they save two people's lives and you see like a whole room of people like cheering and whooping and hollering and stuff as if like saving these two people's lives was like the greatest thing ever when literally two scenes before you see like about i'd say two or three thousand people frozen in their tracks on a beach <laughs> in rio de janeiro like it was nothing oh god this film it is. Has it at least got that um that that new trope of Hollywood movies that are trying to cash in? And is there like a lengthy period of it set in China for no real reason? No, but the the, the deal is that it's a, a like a, a combination of the American and Chinese government money men who came up with this. So they do get China in there, um, and just for no reason other than the fact that he's Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia is the president of the United <laughs> States of America. Yeah. Like, cool. what, you know, Andy Garcia turns up at the end of that uh, Chris Pratt, Jennifer Lawrence movie, whatever that was, was called. Passengers. Passengers. Oh my God. What a fucking snooze that movie was. Yeah, at least that movie, like, you know what? You've never seen two more charismatic people be this awful. Yeah, like, that movie sucked. Like, at least this movie is hilariously bad. And, yeah, Andy Garcia, like, he even has one lines where it, where someone's like, why are you doing this? And he's like, because I'm the president. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels like the whole thing is a parody, but it's not. It's done so straight that I genuinely believe that the people in the film thought they were making a great movie. 
And, and I've watched a couple of Gerard Butler shut up Butler interviews where he just looks like, you know, he's talking with like kind of sincerity about it. And I'm just like, either he is the greatest actor of a generation. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah. Or he like <laughs> believes in this film. But my God, like the only thing that could have made this film more like good, bad is if it was The Rock playing the title character in it. Like I, I genuinely yeah. believe that if The Rock had done it, like this would be like an all-time minus five stars, great to watch. I can't wait for the "How Did This Get Made" episode <laughs> on this <laughs> it, film. It's surely coming soon. Oh god! Um, in summation, before I go see it, this is what I want from this movie. What I imagine this movie to be, and tell me if I'm if I'm off the mark or not on this, is imagine Michael Bay went to see The Day After Tomorrow. Yeah. And said, this is really slow and really boring. I can do better myself. And then he did a massive pile of cocaine and ran off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it kind of does follow that pattern. Yeah, mate. Oh, Brilliant. Who's the guy I'm that. In. Who's, who directed, like, um, the Lethal Weapon movies? Is it Shane Black? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So the only thing that would be missing to complete the Shane Black list of tropes is, is it randomly set around Christmas? No, it's not randomly set around Christmas, but he is coming home to his little girl, who is, of course, a like, you know, 13 year old blonde white girl. Um, You know, Shane Black has this thing about Christmas, man. It's like (laughs) he also has this thing about kids in his movies as well. He uses that. Iron Man 3. Yeah. Oh, just, um, just, oh, what's the? Uh, oh, I'm black. Uh, Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Also set around Christmas. It is a yeah. black movie. I don't. I don't know if he directed it. He wrote. He. I think. I think he definitely at least wrote the script on it. I know he's involved in that movie. I can't remember if he directed it or not. But it's like Shane Black and Michael Bay. Like they were in a room and they just banged like the like an almost Pacino mountain of cocaine, and and <laughs> this is the outcome of it. And like nobody questioned the whole time at any stage like it is there a 100% creative vision for everything about how this movie should have been but you know what I wouldn't be surprised if it did really well and it created like you know like Sharknado yes oh I know Sharknado my friend and everybody was like oh that's such a great good bad movie I just imagine that Geostorm there's gonna be a Geostorm 2 or something to that effect if it does really well uh, you've genuinely got me excited now, so I, <laughs> I think we'll 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 leave the movie talk at that now before I just immediately run out of the house and go to see a late showing of Geostorm. I mean, um, it's not worth it, but it really it would it would be worth it <laughs> if the podcast just ended here and I just had to sort of go. So, video games. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let let's talk about those video games now in the feature we call playing this week. Hey, check it out! I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy Two. Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Well, thank you. I meant scum of the earth. Thank uh, Jack, I'm going to take the lead on playing this week first because I haven't really got much to say. I haven't been playing anything new because, as we'll talk about later, this is a pretty big week coming up for new games. Um, but I really, uh, as I kind of alluded to on the podcast last week, got real, real deep in the well on Stardew Valley the last the last couple of weekends. Not so much during the weeks, but at the weekends when I don't really have anything to do. Um, 
you still haven't played Stardew Valley, have you? You've been on the kind of precipice of getting it for a while. I've got it. It's it's on my Switch. I just haven't oh, you just it. haven't. I'm trying so to. Fi- you're... I'm trying to finish what one of my now playing games is. Yeah, yeah. You and I have the exact. We're we have the exact opposite situation because that particular game that you're going to talk about, I'm uh, I, I'm waiting to play over the Christmas when things kind of quiet down a little bit. But um. I, over the last two weekends, have logged in, I think, the Switch, because the Switch is, I think, a couple of days behind in adding up your total game clock, but uh, I looked at it this morning, and I'm at 45 hours so far, and this game's only been out a couple of weeks oh, on the Switch. <laughs> yeah, um, so, like, there, there's some cool, like, as well as your day-to-day kind of Harvest Mooney stuff where you're, you know... Uh, kind of starting relationships with people in the town trying to make them your friends and and you know eventually like you you, you will marry somebody and all that kind of good jazz and, and and getting your crops and upgrading your farm and things like that there's there's a couple of different meta game things uh, to do so there's um the mines in Stardew Valley uh is is one of your it's your kind of your your combat challenge for the game and it's 120 or 130 procedurally generated levels that in, involves and a, some combination of monsters and uh rocks and minerals and things like that and you have to try and find the ladder in each level which will be like hidden under a rock or sometimes you have to beat all the enemies in the room and where the last enemy fell is where the ladder will appear and you have to try and get your way through there as quickly as possible, and so it's like uh, a dungeon, then basically. Yeah, pretty much. It's a <clears throat> like it's a it's a procedural dungeon crawler kind of feature, like side game inside this game. And one of the things that kind of keeps it as a challenge for a long while in the game is that you can only do stuff in that game between six a.m. and two a.m. the following morning. If you're still out at two a.m., you will collapse and wake up the following day, and a bunch of your shit will be gone. <laughs> And you'll start off that new day with like kind of two thirds of your normal energy bar. So you need to make sure that your time management is good because my farm is so big that unless it's winter when there are no crops outside, uh, like my just day to day farm work takes me from 6 a.m. at the start of the day till about nearly midday. Humble brag. So I only have <laughs> I only have between midday and say 12 p like midnight um, to get all my stuff done in the dungeon for that day make sure i don't die as well because you'll also lose a bunch of your shit um and then come back so that i kind of the the dungeon you have to get five levels for it to save your progress like you can't just go say level one level two and then leave and come back at level two you have to get to level five and then it'll save that you've gone five levels so you have to do them in in groups of five to make any progress at all so there's that challenge and then eventually, like, when you beat that one, there's a much harder dungeon uh, out in the desert, but I haven't really finished that one yet. Um, the the thing that I got stuck on doing this week, Jack, and this is, the, this is one of the things that will get you in deep in this game, and it's the town hall. Uh, when you arrive in Stardew Valley, there's a town hall that's in a state of disrepair, and one of your jobs is, in this game, one of the kind of the loose meta objectives, is to try and completely rebuild that town hall and the way you do that is each room in the town hall has a little kind of tile in it you go to that tile and each tile has a bunch like five or six different bundles attached to it where you have to try and assemble these kind of they could be resources they could be crops they could be things that you cook based uh, like you know based on things you're growing on the farm different things like that 
you have to try and assemble all those bundles. Uh, each room you complete has a different bonus. So like there's one of the rooms you complete and it unlocks a bus to bring out to the desert where there's some cool other resources and stuff like that. There's one that uh, unlocks uh, or dis- makes a glittering boulder up in the mountain disappear so that uh, minerals like gold and iron and stuff start coming out into the water and you can sift through it like an old timey prospector. Um, one of them unlocks a greenhouse on your farm. Uh, your greenhouse gets refurbished and you can grow crops in there all year round regardless of the weather. Uh, different things like that. Cool. And I got I got really deep in the well in this because there's a f- there's if you have played it enough to have good resource management and figure out how to build a big farm relatively quickly, you can knock out a lot of the rooms because a lot of the rooms are just, okay, we need 99 pieces of stone, 99 pieces of wood, another 99 pieces of wood, and then there's like 10 uh, of the hardwoods, which uh, you can only chop down hardwood stuff when you've upgraded your axe a couple of times. So that kind of stuff is relatively straightforward. But then you get into the stuff that just the, the basics of it are more difficult. So there's like the, the cooking challenges, which require you to either find rare items or uh, grow rare items and then combine them together uh, and cook them like that. And then there's the one that... Uh, Oh Jesus! It's the it's the real fucker on it, and it's the um the fishing mini games. So there's a fish tank that you have to repair, and it's it, every time I've played this game. This, this is my I played it on PC, and now I've played it on Switch. Both times, the the fish tank is the one with the slowest amount of progress because one fish in the game there's so many different species of them and you have to get six different bundles worth of fish there's like the lake fishing bundle the river fishing bundle the night fishing bundle the speciality fishing bundle i think mm-hmm. then there's like the the crab pot bundle so they're all different kind of themes but all the different fish only appear at different times of day and at different times of year so immediately you have to have a wiki page open letting you know which ones like is there any point in fishing in a lake during the day in winter or have i already got all the fish that are likely to appear here uh add to that the fact that the actual fishing mini game is bullshit (laughs) (laughs) why so it's well i say it's bullshit it's just quite difficult it's one of those uh it puts up a vertical bar And the fish will jump up and down the vertical bar and you have your own little green bar that you have to tap the the Y button to get the bar to start rising up and you have to try and keep the fish in the middle of that bar. Okay, so with with your very basic rod, you can only really catch very basic fish. Anything like anything more special than say like a carp that fish is going to fly around your progress bar but then eventually like the more you fish you just persist with it you get you learn how to craft bait for it which increases the amount of bites you get because sometimes you can just pull garbage out of the sea like broken glasses a trash bag driftwood (laughs) and a bunch of other stuff which again eventually if you store that stuff you will unlock the ability to make recycling machines that turn that stuff into valuable things but um you then get a fiberglass rod and then you get an iridium rod and then you learn how to craft fishing tackle and 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 things like that that do different things to help that that whole progress bar struggle and finally 45 hours into the game and i think in the it's the winter of my second year 
I finally caught the last fish last night. Oh, mate, well done. Congratulations. Like, it's genuine. Like, even, you know, the man who was campaigning for Stardew to be the game of the year last year, Mark Robinson, will tell you that the the fishing mini game is that the hardest part of that game um but i still i love that game so much and even though i've completed what i think seems like the most daunting meta objective of the whole thing i'm still playing it away it's it's absolutely fantastic just um, one of those things that just never finishes i take it yeah yeah it's 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 one of those like i can't think of it it's kind of like a, a minecrafty sort of thing in that way where it's just like yeah you can finish the loose objectives that are out there for you but then like you just start giving yourself projects you know like i i've got the maximum upgrade on my house now so that's given me a basement with casks in it that when i uh brew wine in the kegs in my shed i can put them in the cask for two seasons and they become uh purple star quality wines that i can then sell different things like that it's it's just it it never ends the different things i want to do in it it's a just a really really terrific game what have you been playing my friend well i played a little bit of the game we're going to be talking about later um just to sort of so, get myself back in the headspace uh yeah which, so so we'll we'll, we'll we'll put that to one exactly. side for the, for the yeah. time being uh, I've been playing Golf Story, which I mm-hmm. guess would probably bore regular listeners of the show because Mark kind of spoke about it last week. <laughs> but what what have you? You're kind of the the unofficial golfing game expert of Link to the Cast, considering I think your first appearance on the show was categorised by a brutal takedown of Rory McIlroy's PGA Tour. Oh, and by the way, there hasn't been another EA golf game since then. So, oh dear. That kind of just goes to show how bad that was, and also probably that the company are kind of shifting their uh, their intentions away after some some recent comments that we've heard around EA. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's it's really good. It's it's. <laughs> oh God! I just thought of the idea of loot boxes in a golfing game. I nearly got sick of my mouth. Well, I wouldn't be shocked, mate. Yeah, you unlock those like Nike clubs where you be just <laughs> P- PGA Ultimate Team. Oh. <laughs> PGA Ultimate Team. Oh my god. Hey man, have you got that classic Sam Sneed card? Oh, I need that, man. Um I got a new pack. What did you get? I got a five iron. <laughs> I got a five iron. <laughs> I got a five iron and PGA rookie of the year, Keegan Bradley for two thousand twelve. <laughs> oh, cool, man. This is this is why we get you on, man. The deep cuts. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, uh well. Anyway, aside from my Keegan Bradley related stories, Golf Story is is really fun. It's it's absolutely bonkers. Like you know, the game is it, at first it kind of seems a bit like kind of silly kiddie fun, and then it takes its first turn where you're just kind of like, what? When it's like there are some guys that are like using undead skeletons to go and do their purpose. And you're a trainer guy who you're doing like a recon mission of this course because you're worried something weird might be going on. It's like, oh, it's clearly they're just reanimating skeletons to do their evil purposes. It makes total sense now. And then your character's like, yeah, that 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 makes total sense. And then like from then on out, the game is just weird. Some of the things you do, like there's, there's like a wacky murder mystery thing going on and all sorts of undead shenanigans and everyone talk- does this like just does it just like all of a sudden turn into undertale because that's what it sounds like 
it's not a million miles away from that sort of feel, but with, you know, golf. Um, it just, it, it seems like somebody like me has sat in a group of video game RPG nerds, but is a really like, who really likes golf. And they're like, oh, we're making this RPG. And then that, the guy that's like me is like, you know what this RPG needs, right? <laughs> Fucking golf, son. That'll, that'll get you over. Yeah, it's just like it's a golf enthusiast happens to be walking past like a brainstorming meeting where it's like, okay, we've got all the elements of this super weird RPG, but we can't think of like what the defining weapon is going to be. You know, Kingdom Hearts has the Keyblade. We need something like that. What's our MacGuffin here? But you and do get fellas. specific clubs like... <laughs> You buy these, like, for instance, one of the first things, like, first missions you do is you're doing, like, an archaeological dig on one part of a golf course because he's, like... <laughs> so one of the golf courses is basically run by these, like, um, like prehistoric-type people that can't speak properly that are basically still, like, hum- homunculus-level <laughs> beings <laughs> who are just like, golf, good, you smash... Um, and you have to they've got an idol which they think your golf course has stolen so you get these very specific wedges that that can that could double as shovels and you go shoveling with your shovel wedges <laughs> into the golf course to find their idol very amazing weird. It, it you know it's just so much fun dave you know when you just play something and you're not particularly like deeply emotionally invested in it but every minute you're playing it you're just thinking these people were having an absolute blast when they made this game we were actually at um a a gig last friday night myself and uh mark and uh it was a friend of the show keith brony actually it was his band's album launch up in dublin and I, i turn around at one point uh before the bands were on in fairness and uh, Mark and his girlfriend have the switch out on the side of the bar playing Golf Story. So it's it's just one of those, <laughs> like, you can crack out at really weird inopportune occasions and just have a round of golf. So, yeah, this is the same Mark who we've been out before in, like, a pub in London, like, you know, music's... <laughs> Bury- burial incoming. Music's blaring <laughs> and, like, you know, people sat around talking or whatever. And Homeboy has got his fucking phone out and he's watching New Japan Pro Wrestling in the corner, not talking to anybody. <laughs> just just watching it. Oh, what are you doing, Mark? Just watching some Japanese pro wrestling. Oh, cool. That, is, that, that right there is what we in the business call a prime cut of Robinson. It's just, yeah, just whatever then. All right, mate. No worries. <laughs> just get on with what you want to get on with. It's like, uh, I'm drinking rum. What are you doing watching Okada? <laughs> it's like, okay. Pretty much what was happening, yeah. Um, so that doesn't shock me at all. At least he's found a, a woman that is capable of putting up with his uh, urge to do anything but acknowledge his surroundings. I, I think tolerant is the word you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But then if she's playing Golf Story too, you know, she might be Fair part thing. of the problem. Who knows? But what else have you been playing? I, I see something else here on this list. All right, so like, there's another. So there's another golf game. Funnily enough, like on the way to work, I, I'm on the tube a lot, Dave, and you know, I know that that in a perfect Nintendo world, you could take your Switch with you on the tube. But you know, if you're traveling in rush hour, you don't often have a lot of space or time, and you know, you're on yeah. trains, off trains, so you want to be playing mobile gaming. So there are two games that I've been playing in the last few weeks. One is called OK Golf. Again, another golf game. I'm sorry. 
it's like it was like a one-off fee of like 2.99 or something and it's a beautiful diorama style 3d golf game very easy to play very intuitive they add new courses like once a month maybe you don't have to pay anything extra you don't get you know bothered by ads or microtransactions or anything it's just it was a one-off fee and it, it was a great thing and it's something i play but the other game i've been playing it is a game called score hero right which is just like it's a football game and you draw like lines to do you know passes and shots and stuff and there are different stages and basically you know you start at like some jobber level football team like i don't know macclesfield or something and you work your way up to being a pro but like you've got only so much energy before it runs out and then you have to wait 15 minutes before you get like one bar of the five bars of energy back and you know, there's bucks in the game where you have to, like, you'd have to pay, like, I think it's, like, six ninety nine for, like, a hundred bucks and stuff. Or, like, you can get Ooh. one, you can get, like, ten for, like, a quid or whatever. And it's just, like, it, it it's just so full of microtransaction nonsense at every turn. There's, like, at least three different things to put you off not paying money in it. And I uh, love and this. The- was this was something that Jim Sterling touched on this week in, in uh, his Jimquisition series, which I recommend everybody out there watches. Uh, he talked about how like he used to love mobile games when they were coming out, and like there's no problem with those. You know, you pay, you pay once and you've got the full game and stuff like that. But it's this kind of microtransaction piss that runs him and me as well, and and many others off the entire idea of uh, mobile gaming. Yeah, like, I'm just not going to pay. So if I run out of energy, I just put my phone away. It's good because it kind of stops me playing it because I do really enjoy the the basic gameplay. Although the, the harder the game gets or, like, the more the level goes up, the more the goalkeepers turn into, like, impossible objects which you can move at angles that you wouldn't have thought it would be humanly possible to do to the point where if you get it anywhere other than pinpoint in the top corner it's like oh the keeper saved it and then you like lose a little fragment of energy and you're like what the fuck you know you Mm. could put you could put it like in a postage stamp and it still might not be accurate enough so and that's good because it makes it challenging but it's annoying when it's like well you've run out of energy now uh Oh, and if you want unlimited energy for the day, you can pay us £2.99. Oh, great, really? No, thank you. Uh, so, yeah, I it, I really enjoy playing that game, Dave, but it just I, the microtransactions in it are just are horrific. And you know what? There's ads in the game where you can, like, watch an ad and um, win, like, get, like, a fragment of energy back, and they're all for these horrible, horrible games where it's like, you know, do up your house you know, with microtransactions and then there's like a brick break game of microtransactions. There's a WWE game where you have to do like gem burst to get like, I don't know, a style. Oh, I've seen that. The, I can't remember what that's called. I think, I think Mark talked about it on the show before, but it's the one that's basically like Candy Crush, isn't it? Yeah. To do moves. And it's just like, it's, it's awful. And that kind of drains your, if you watch those videos as well, it just drains your data because the videos are like linked like third party and they just like absolutely <laughs> just ins- like retina searing 4k on a fucking phone yeah exactly and it, they're just all way too big and it's just an absolute fucking shit show to be honest and yeah you're right like the, the reason i bought those two games up is i love the fact that i paid a one-off fee for okay golf and i still play it and i still enjoy it and it, it doesn't ask me for anything 
Like, that is what it used to be like. It used to be a case of you buy Angry Birds and you've got Angry Birds and they add more levels every now and then. Great. You know, you you buy, I don't know, Doodle Jump or, you know, that that tossing a paper ball in a trash can game or whatever. Or the cat. What what was the thing where you had to, like, get, like, a little um, sweet? You had to cut the rope. Was it cut the rope? Yeah, cut the rope and you, like, drop a sweet in that little monster thing's mouth. That was that yeah. was what gaming like on your mobile kind of used to yeah. be in it. But even it even sad. like to to be a real curmudgeon, that's what console gaming used to be like. It's like you pay you pay sixty dollars and here's the whole game. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. And if you want more of that game, that's great. Wait a couple of years, here's the sequel. You know, pretty much. Um, but like, I I get that even in that relative kind of oh game, you know, kind of uh, additional content sphere of of gaming that microtransactions are particularly transgressive and then the, the loot boxing phenomenon of 2017 is, is even worse than that again. Yeah. And um, it, it is sad to see trends like that. But it's good that you've got someone like Jim Sterling who is kind of going at it in a very aggressive way and it's it's rare to have somebody like him who has no affiliation to any corporation so it can actually mm. from a consumer's perspective this is one thing that i don't like and it, i don't i'm not going to say that it's a straw man argument because i see the argument get made every single time on one of his videos people that have a go at him like whether you think he's funny or not he's a weird dude you know like he might not be his sense of humor might not be to some people's tastes he has you know <laughs> like a, a duke that he plays and it he yeah. dressed up like a, a giant wrestler the other day and like there's the whatever the cornflake homunculus thing is right that, <laughs> and the multiple references to erasure's chains of love chains of love and he loves boglins like who cares about fucking boglins jim sterling is the answer right you might not like any of that but he kind of has the consumer's values at heart and I always really yeah. enjoy somebody that is like I'm saying this is fucked cuz I honestly believe in making things better for everyone. Okay, if, if somebody had a game that they loved, the, the level of defending something that you like on the internet at the moment without any application or admission of its flaws has reached a dangerously critical level in the last few yeah. years. And, mm-hmm. and that just seems to be it. Those are the people that kind of rally against them. And that kind of segues nice into... Uh, into our first yeah. news item that you've got there, mate. Yes, let's let's transition into the news. News on the mark. Okay, gonna get the big kind of weighty one for the week out of the way because then it's kind of bright and breezy for the the rest of the news headlines this week. And of course, that lead story is uh, NeoGAF, uh, which is online now, but at the time of the, the writing of this story was offline after owner accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, this kind of in the, the, the fallout of the whole Harvey Weinstein thing, which then led to the hashtag MeToo on social media, which was uh, women and, and in some cases men being kind of brave and courageous enough to come forward with their stories of sexual harassment, assault and misconduct in their various industries. And it was not long before gaming got kind of uh, brought into this. Uh, we all know the traditions of gaming as a as a boys' club and having less than progressive views on women joining the community. Last week we t- we talked about how um, a male environment artist at uh, Naughty Dog, uh, David Ballard, 
uh, also shared his Me Too story about being sexually harassed to the point of uh, filing a complaint with Sony HR and their response was to fire him. Not not a great response from Sony, I will admit. Uh, and then this week we have NeoGAF. Uh, and I'll just read from Eurogamer's story here so that I don't get any details wrong. Uh, influential internet forum NeoGAF has gone offline. This was over the weekend. Uh, after an allegation of sexual misconduct surfaced against its owner. The site imploded over the weekend as the claim went viral. The majority of NeoGAF's moderation team elected to resign in response. And forum users created dozens of threads asking to be banned. Hours later, the site could then no longer be reached. NeoGAF admin and owner Tyler Malka, who goes by the name Evil Lore on the website, was last week named by film director Ima Layup uh, in an account of sexual harassment posted to her Facebook. Layup shares the details of the incident as part of the ongoing Me Too movement, where sexual harassment and assault survivors speak out about their uh, experiences publicly to highlight how widespread the issue is. Uh, she basically goes on to talk about a story where herself and a friend who at this point in the story wasn't mentioned but would later go on to be mentioned as evil or uh, went on a road trip i think it was to nevada and uh she was feeling unwell throwing up and all sorts of things uh, and decided she was going to have a shower to try and kind of feel better shake the sickness off and lo and behold uh evil or uh, tyler malka hopped in the shower behind her in uh, a state of full undress uh, and she had uh a boyfriend at the time on top of this being a horrible thing like she goes on to state that she had a boyfriend at the time and had given him no reason to suggest that anything in this kind of realm was being uh kind of suggested um and yeah th this all came out and, and then of course the people kind of dug out previous statements from evil lore um, that kind of encapsulates some of his views on, on women and stuff like that i believe he had a a famous uh, post a long time ago about how, like, if a woman walks up to him at a bar and says, buy me a drink, he'll slap them on the ass just to make them know that this is a, you know, that they're not going to use him, that this is a give and take scenario, which is a horrific thing for anybody to type oh. down, let alone for me to recount out loud. Um, but all this kind of came out. And like I said, all the, the mods started resigning. NeoGAF was taken offline. It's back online as of, I think, yesterday as a time of recording. And uh, the, the change to the website now is that all non-gaming discussion on the website has been banned. Uh, oh. So, Jack, I'll, uh, I'll throw to you on this. Uh, what, what was your, your, your take uh, as this story started to develop? <laughs> I mean, first of all, just to punch up on that, uh, like... You just immediately remove anyone's ability to talk about something. That is a Trump-level move. Yeah. Straight away. Oh, we're not going to discuss anything that's not associated with video games on this site. Just to sort of run and hide from it. That is... I mean, it's just poor, isn't it? Like, just yeah. face up to it. Like, if anything, right, it's good to let people discuss it on there... I mean, obviously, there's going to be some horrific takes, you know, going in either direction, you mm. know, f if in like in range of defending what he said to probably posting his address and hunting him down or whatever. I would imagine those are the two opposite polar ends that, yeah. that people would do. But it might get people to talk about 
you know, you know, sexual harassment and, and in the way that the whole thing has been a positive movement yeah. so far. And and in the past as well, like in some respects, NeoGAF has been a trash fire over the years, but in a lot of other respects, um, it's known to be one of the rare places where gaming is discussed on the internet in quite a, a through quite a liberal lens. Yeah. Uh, like NeoGAF was one of the first places where uh, gamer gators were just shut the fuck down. Um, they were talking about this on, there's actually a really excellent episode of Waypoint Radio that's online now, the, the, the most recent episode that I recommend people check because they talk about it way better than myself or Jack are going to be able to way more eloquently. But uh, they talk about how when the whole Gamergate thing started happening and like major outlets were doing this whole two sides thing of going, oh, well, maybe they do have a point. Maybe it is about ethics and games journalism. The NeoGAF mods were like, no, fuck these idiots and their sexist ideas. No, anybody talking about Gamergate from the perspective of um, the Gamer Gators uh, was getting shut down and banned on NeoGAF because they acknowledged that the uh, the movement was bullshit. So, um, yeah, it would that have been... That message got so if, diluted if... by the end that I didn't actually have an, a, a fucking clue what it was about. Like it's yeah, you off. you would have to you would you would legitimately if you heard about it like about n- six months after the fact when that all started, you would really have to retrace your steps to figure out what it was actually about. But I, I suppose that's that's not really what the 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 tenor of the, this conversation is about necessarily. But what what I wanted to to ask you about, uh, Jack, was just kind of what like if if what should the future of the site be here? Um, like that's the that's the real kind of like the what's going to happen uh, to this site is the most important part of it because obviously with uh, the owner of the site it, you know with these accusations he's a piece of shit he should fuck off uh, but yeah. also also being the owner of the site and, and hemorrhaging um, mods at a rate of knots uh, would, would you what, I suppose what do you think of the story firstly like I said and what do you think about should people stick around NeoGAF to try and improve the place if he sells off the place? Or should, in light of all these allegations, everyone make a fresh break and all those mods who have deserted now just go somewhere else? Well, there's two ways in the immediate aftermath of something like this. You either remo- that guy removes his presence from the site completely, like just hands the baton off to someone else, has nothing to do with it, um, you know, and says... You know, if if the claims are false or whatever, he says, I'm going to fuck off and I'm going to clear my name and, you know, I'm going to give it to this person and yeah. they're going to oh, have he- he did the actual what he's done so far in terms of official statements on it is rather than do any of that mea culpa stuff uh, he has gone down the traditional horrendous uh, sexist route of claiming that the the woman making the accusations is mentally ill yeah sure it's 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 all about defamation isn't it like yeah. for for when people are called out on their bullshit they always try and discredit the other person they never actually yeah. I, I i don't have facts i'm just going to discredit you as much as i can and hopefully that way i'll win yeah you just you know you can even explain what happened if you want but you do it in the most neutral possible terms if if you genuinely believe that you are innocent of these crimes you 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 just explain you can explain what happened you don't go at the other person at all you just say 
here's my side of the story. And for the time being, until I, you know, I'm proven innocent or whatever, I'm going to give the site to someone else. Perfect, right? Or the other option is you get that entire community of people just agree to fucking burn that place to the ground and go and start something somewhere else. I I think that's probably going to be what happens. And it's probably for the best that... Like, I don't think they should co-opt themselves into, like, uh, Reddit's gaming forum or anything like that. I think if these if these mods really believe in this place as, as an open and frank discussion about games and the industry, uh, I, I think getting a clean break and, and starting up something else is probably the best way to go. Although then it becomes a matter of getting the, the capital to do so, which is easier said than done, uh, I suppose. It's, it's kind of funny that, like, before this piece of shit was revealed to be uh, even more of a piece of shit than people already thought he was evil or he had actually been offered I think something in the neighborhood of 10 million dollars to sell the site not about a year ago I think I was reading which in <laughs> hindsight take the money and run you know well, well yeah he should have done I mean it's uh, I just watched the um, Simpsons episode Flaming Mo the other day <laughs> where Homer oh. gives away the recipe just as he's about yeah. to get half a million dollars Ah. Uh. But anyway, yeah, it's uh, horrible to see people having to go through these these uh, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct. Yeah, uh, it's scary. You know, it scares and, like, the shit out of me how insanely common this behavior yeah. is. Because we and we we all kind of like knew that it must be more commonplace than we were hearing, and, and this is something you and I have been talking about offline a lot. Yeah. It's just that hearing, like, it's just, it's just been it's the feeling of just like just being beaten down and beaten down by the Harvey Weinstein thing is spreading out so far and getting so close to people you and I quite admire in the, in the film industry. And in some cases, how much or how little did they know? Or, you know, why aren't they coming out quick enough saying he was a piece of shit and different things like that. It's, it's just really rough, but completely at the same time, supporting the people who are being courageous enough to come out uh, and share these me too stories in the hope that um it, it stops like we also we even in in gaming journalism there's been a couple this week uh, Danica Harrod from Waypoint and and Abby Russell from Giant Bomb have also shared their me too stories and like it's just it's it there's nowhere this whole and it's it's any man in a position of power regardless of industry has the, the like there, there is the, the potential for that to happen it seems um yeah, power it's, just it's seems terrifying. to corrupt a very certain type of person yeah absolutely but uh moving on uh from one colossal disaster to the xbox one x which is coming out uh on november 7th um and this is hitting close to home geographically for you jack in that argos uh have upped the ante in video games delivery uh with their ambitious new service that has said it will get an xbox one x in londoners arms at one minute past midnight hey so this trial is called minute past midnight delivery and as pilot launches across london for the release of the xbox one x next month argos said in a note that it promises to get cust- it promises customers will get the new console at their doorstep just one minute after midnight on launch day november 7th 2017 uh, if you pl- if you live within london zones one to five you can apply for the trial Shit. argos said <laughs> 
Argos said minute past midnight delivery is an additional pre-order opportunity. So the 12.01 slot is only available to customers who purchase and pre-order the Xbox One X as part of the trial rather than customers who have taken part in previous pre-order offers from Argos. Uh, It will announce the details of said pre-ordering on Wednesday the 25th of October on its Twitter account, which is Argos underscore online on the tweet machine. This has the potential to be like just from the the perspective of kind of uh as two people who have uh educational or uh professional interests or experience in the concept of logistics uh can you imagine what a headache this is jack <laughs> to try and organize even over like one city it is a worry for me if yeah. i'm at argos because i'm thinking what the fuck is the response like we saw mm. two, three weeks ago where a company really wasn't prepared for the level of response that they would get uh, for something, and it turned into like a nationwide uh, disaster. And mm. I don't think this is going to be anywhere near that. But if you say have like three, four thousand people pre-order an Xbox One X in London, just say that's the number. Yeah, you need three, four thousand people to distribute it at exactly that time and that yeah. just seems so unfeasible to me that it's insane yeah it's like just the the amount of money that this operation will cost it is mind-boggling to me and like i have a feeling that this isn't going to be like the minute past midnight delivery option i don't think is a thing that is going to be widespread you know that it, i don't think it expands much beyond because i can't think of what the call for this kind of service is outside of say new consoles um so is the is it Argos is thinking that maybe we'll try because the Xbox One X is not going to be a huge console launch because it's kind of like a a 0.5 version of a a 1.5 version of a console that already exists. So maybe we'll try this now and figure out how good we are at doing this so that three or four years from now when the the PS5 or the Xbox 2 come out, uh, we know whether this is a thing we can... uh, guarantee so that maybe we can have a snipe away at amazon's pre-orders or gamestop's pre-orders or something like that what do you think yeah potentially i just i just think that that you get caught up very easily in the in the terms and conditions of an experiment like this um because when you do have something a lot bigger like imagine like the next grand theft auto game coming out or something and you've got one minute past midnight deliveries on that is it if you get it at two minutes past midnight, do you get to claim your money back or? Yeah, yeah. Is it a Domino's thing? You know, thirty minutes and it's free. Yeah, this is what I'm not. I'm not quite getting the full details of it because yeah. it it sounds extremely ambitious from yeah, Argos. Extre- extremely ambitious, and and to me, Jack, my thing is like, if it succeeds, I don't see the the day two and day three story on this. It'd be just kind of like, yeah, okay, it worked, but then. Like to me, the the the, the cost benefit analysis doesn't pan out great because I'm like, okay, it doesn't really create a way a huge wave of PR if this minor console launch goes to plan, but it opens up a massive opportunity to slag Argos off if it doesn't work. Because here's the thing, right? As you say, like if you worked in logistics, you'll know that 
all of the people that are going to be delivering these consoles, they're not going to be Argos employees. Argos are going to need either a whole raft of independent delivery drivers, a la Uber drivers or taxi drivers, or they're going to need a third-party firm to come in that they're going to have yeah, to pay. Yeah, like, like a DHL or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, any of the above, really. So they're going to need to organize all of that. Like someone is then, there's going to be a whole wing of Argos organizing this. And then th- there's no guarantee that if you then don't have control over the body of people or potential other company that you're employing, that they're going to get things exactly to your specification. So mm. it just, yeah, it seems really ambitious, really risky. Like even the Amazon, when they were like, oh, we're going to do drone deliveries. You know that the, they kind of yeah. reeled back on that a little bit straight away. Yeah, when, pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, they realised mm, we're not quite there yet. We're, we're we're definitely not quite there yet. So this is possible, but it seems like it isn't going to happen to me if it yeah. has to happen on a large scale. <laughs> um, small story here from the. You remember Jack the the toys to life boom of a few years ago with the the Skylanders and the like. Amiibos. Um, and the Disney Infinity and and the other third one then was when Lego got on board with Lego Dimensions. Now, in, in the last couple of years, we've seen, well, Disney Infinity completely shut down last year. Uh, a lot of people lost their jobs. That was uh, sad to see. Um, then we have the, the, the sales of Skylanders or at the very least the ubiquity of Skylanders in the 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 consciousness of, of of people who are paying attention to the industry has definitely waned. Uh, and now the the other kind of, the, the third leg of the tripod here, Lego Dimensions announced this week that they are shutting down. There will be no new expansion packs and there will be uh, no kind of uh, online support um, in terms of kind of like building additional content there will be uh they kind of vaguely promise here in the statement uh, i'll read the statement uh, that they tweeted out at lego dimensions warner brothers interactive entertainment tt games and the lego group would like to thank the fans for their ongoing support of lego dimensions after careful consideration we will not be producing new expansion packs for the game beyond what is now available we will continue to provide ongoing server and customer support for lego dimensions packs existing packs will continue to work interchangeably and will remain available for purchase so it's kind of a case of we're going to sell off the stock we've already made we're not making any new stuff and we'll kind of keep a nominal amount of support around to make sure that the game is still working uh was lego dimensions anything that ever came across your field of view no <laughs> not, <laughs> not not to be honest mate i don't it it's not really it's just a bit young for me i think i'm not really the target yeah. market for this sort of game and i do remember yeah. seeing like the skylanders and the infinity and uh, and the amiibos which I don't know if that's a, a an entirely different kettle of fish in Amiibo. Yeah, it 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 is and it isn't. I think Nintendo have done it in kind of a clever a cleverer way that they kind of focus it more on the idea that these are kind of collectible, cool nerd statues that, as a bonus, have some sort of functionality in certain Nintendo first party games, whereas the whole the whole kind of raison d'être of Skylanders and <laughs> Yeah, I know, yeah. Uh, and Disney Infinity is that they work in this game or that they change this game and Lego Dimensions as well. Uh, I think Lego Dimensions kind of straddles it in some way because when you unplug the, the, the Lego Dimensions figurines from the, the kind of like the toys to life thing, they are still working Lego toys. So there is that kind of element to it. 
Um, to me, Lego Dimensions was the kind of one of those, uh, the three between it, uh, Infinity and Skylanders that looked coolest. I thought you were going to say it had interactive toys for a second. Right. <laughs> that terrifying. Um, it, it was the coolest looking one because I'm someone who really enjoyed Lego as a kid. Uh, I Same. enjoy playing Lego games uh, from time to time when they're good. And uh, on top of that as well, they were doing some really cool expansion kits. Like they had Lord of the Rings ones. They had DC ones. They had Marvel ones. No, they didn't have Marvel ones. Um, they had Back to the Future, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters. Like they were really cashing in on a lot of kind of nostalgia. And the the figures they were making were of pretty decent quality. And I, I've played the game a little bit Um and like short of the actual like oh this is dumb having to put figurines on a portal thing like the game wasn't that bad and the, the figures are like as well made as a lego product normally is so in one in that respect it's kind of sad because like you know i love cool lego but uh yeah you can totally see it's kind of gone the way of wouldn't you agree and this is something that was kind of far more in our wheelhouses i suspect at the time it's kind of gone the way of the the rock bands and guitar heroes sure is that it's one thing to ask someone to buy a 60 dollar game but it's another thing to ask them to buy a 60 dollar game and then spend hundreds more collecting peripherals yeah instead they've just kind of changed the format where you don't get something physical now you just get (laughs) you get like you get like a a hollow hub of something physical and then you buy more physical things to try and lock different unlock different parts of the game um it's it's carving up content by another name sort of yeah it is but at least there's like there's like a physical owning something element to the dimension statues that's that's true yeah, uh, I've seen some of the Skylanders. There's cousins of mine that, that were crazy into their Skylanders. And I wasn't really overly gone on, on the, the quality of the actual physical Skylanders. Um, whereas I am completely and routinely blown away by the quality of some of those Amiibo, um, which I, I have a handful of up on my shelf. Uh, just really, really just well done. I think one of my favorite kind of bits of nerd tat I own is the the pixelated Mario uh, amiibo that came cool. with Mario Maker. It's awesome. And uh, by God, I, I, I'm absolutely intent on getting the Bowser in a pimp suit amiibo from Mario Odyssey at some point. Because <laughs> <laughs> pimp suit Bowser is a boss. The, bi- the big uh, question is, can you get Roy from Mario Kart 8? Oh, not yet, because believe me, that would be the thing that finally cracks Mark Robinson on getting an Amiibo. Oh, he would buy that. Yeah, because for Roy is his boy. I bought a um, plush Roy for my ex-girlfriend, and I think it, she said it was probably the best thing I ever gave her. <laughs> I was a little bit shattering for Mark that you didn't buy it for him. Uh, I, I would imagine so, but I think he was in like China or some place at that point. Is that is is that why he really went? You you didn't get Roy for him, so he just fled the country. I mean, I'm not the continent. I'm not saying there's a direct line that you can draw there, <laughs> but I'm not not saying that. Um, this week is going to see the launch of original Xbox games on Xbox One for backwards compatibility, which is funny because it's like when in doubt and when there is a complete lack of new first party games coming out when your new console is coming out, just reach back in time and try and fill the gap. Um, so allow me to uh, release this list. There's a couple of good ones in here, I think. Uh, so these will be available, I think, uh, Wednesday the 25th. 
Um, the list includes Dead to Rights, Fusion Frenzy, Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic, Crimson Skies, Psychonauts, Grab by the Ghoulies, Blood Rain 2, Pirates, uh, Ninja Gaiden Black, King of Fighters, Neo Wave, Red Faction 2, Prince of Persia, The Sands of Time. Uh, we've also got, I believe, if I didn't mention it, no I didn't, uh, Black which was the the Criterion first-person shooter. Uh, if, if you remember at the time, Jack, during the PS2 generation, that was the one that was sold to us as, you have never heard guns sound this good. <laughs> wow. That's that's some selling point right there. I, I must say, I quite, like, um, so I quite like Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, the Prince of Persia Sounds of Time game was really cool. Uh, yeah. Although that kind of mechanic... I, I thought it was awesome, but I I preferred like the slowed down version of real time in Max Payne at the time. Yeah, I, I don't know why, buddy. but in my head I always compare Prince of Persia and Max Payne. It was that same kind of era and, and and sort of playing with time mechanics? I can get where you're coming from. Yeah, so they're both cool games, but I, you know what, Dave? I do just wonder why every time a new console comes out, why. And I mean, it's. The, <laughs> I know, I know exactly where this point is going. It's the, and it's a Nintendo thing, isn't it? It's too obvious yeah. an argument to make, but it's like if you've got the rights to all of these games, then why don't you just make them instantly available and make all of the money? Yeah. yeah. Um, I I think not only that, but the, there's a there's an argument for that, and then the argument for that that you should be able to carry those purchases across generations. Well, yeah, so but I can I've, understand why that doesn't happen because oh yeah, from a business perspective, is your yeah. money? They just but then they. They almost don't want your money because they're not yeah. they're not making it easy to get. I don't know. Is there like a deal that they sign with like other games companies that they can't? Yeah, wait, wait. I I think it gets a bit murky with second and third party, but I think like first party, you've only really got to make an agreement with yourself. Um, like the the constant one that everybody batters uh, people over is that I will be over my dead body. Will I pay for Super Mario World again? on another console um although i think there's been some sort of at least on on that perspective not so much on the instantly making full libraries available um but in the in terms of the carrying purchases between generations i think there's been some sort of tacit acknowledgement from within the industry that like yeah this is probably the last generation we can get away with that yeah um because as J- jim sterling not to name drop him again has pointed out uh, on he was talking about it on twitter today um, the reason we got a load of HD reboots for this generation of games that only came out a few years ago was because the people in the industry were idiots and they were reading trends that like console purchases were slowing down towards the end of the last generation. And they thought it was because console industry was dying, but it was actually just because people were like, oh, this is about when the new consoles come out. So why am I buying a PS3 when I could just wait and get a PS4? Yeah. So they because they thought it was dying, it's like, well, let's only put our resources into HD remakes in case all this blows up in our face. And then all of a sudden, PS4 and Xbox One selling at a rate of knots. Um, oh, people will buy that shit. You just need to make sure you've got games on there that people want to play. Yeah. But people yeah. will see that as a, you know, if, if you... If when you had a Switch, when you first bought your Switch, Zelda was out, great. Um, they And the um, one two Switch was out and then it was like a month to wait for Mario Kart and then like two more months to Splatoon or whatever that time frame was. Yeah. If if you had instantly when you had like finished Zelda and you'd had enough fun with your multiplayer games and stuff, if you had like fifteen 
N64 games, like 15 GameCube games and like all of the SNES and all of the NES games that they could possibly put on there, I think they would have sold more consoles. But then they couldn't sell chumps like us, tiny little cute mini SNESs, I suppose. (laughs) It's the the devil's advocate there. buy one uh, of those? No, what sort of chump, eh, Jack? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's cool to see those games coming out. Um, There's a couple of ones in there that I'd be interested in, and you can probably pick them up on the Microsoft Store pretty cheap, uh, because that's what I do sometimes, because I didn't have an Xbox 360. If a really cool game comes out uh, on backwards compatibility, I'll hop on the Microsoft Store on my phone and buy the digital version of the game, and then I'll automatically get the backwards compatible version for Xbox One. I did that with Red Dead Redemption. Cool. Um, so I have Red Dead Redemption on my Xbox One, which I think now that Cuphead has been beaten by Mark, I think the biggest single reason to keep my Xbox One plugged in is Red Dead Redemption, which isn't a bad reason. I run my but, TV uh, through it, which I think is a really cool thing you can do with the Xbox One, just because otherwise you need too many HDMI cables. I didn't even know you had one. I must add you as a friend. Yeah, let's um, let's take this offline. Yay. Um, anyway, speaking of Red Dead Redemption, Rockstar... See that? See that segue? Oh, mate, I tell you what, there wasn't even a neck break from that segue. That was <laughs> that was natural. Uh, Rockstar this week uh, kind of revealed in an interview with Game Informer that they didn't think uh, single player expansions for GTA V were uh, possible or necessary. I won't kind of uh, get into it. It's quite a long interview. Um, but the basic kind of uh, essence of it is uh, they believe that uh, a, a bunch of different factors so the the story mode in gta 5 feeling so huge so long and so self-contained was one factor it really the is sec- <laughs> it is it oh it definitely is the the second factor then is the um the idea that they were trying to because uh, people forget that at the time it launched gta online was a garbage fire it was like the servers were crashing constantly like um they really were putting a lot of resources into making that thing work and it's to their benefit because they're making money hand over fist with it now um and then the third one was the development of other games specifically uh red dead redemption 2 that's coming out early next year so the combination of these three things led them to conclude that single player expansion for gta 5 was kind of pointless but they also make uh, a point in this article of saying well that doesn't mean that you know future games won't warrant single player dlc yeah jack i'll, I'll shoot to you on this because you had started saying it that story mode in gta 5 i didn't really feel the need to revisit it no i i played it through um i have played it through twice uh i played it through very quickly after it came out in like a few weeks and then maybe a year year and a half later i went back and it's just so great it really is like it's such yeah. a detailed like story and like the fact that you can like walk for want of a better word for want of a Game of Thrones work between characters <laughs> into different like parts of their lives and like you yeah. know you'd walk into Trevor and he'd be fucking halfway up a hill or something and then you get a call yeah. from like just in his underwear yeah <laughs> hammered exactly and you get a call about some mission for Trevor and stuff I I I thought it was really cool I, do you know what I I just think. Because uh, I don't know how much of GTA 4 you played. I assume you would have played that. Uh, I completed GTA 4 once, and that's the only one I don't like. Right. But did you play either The Ballad of Gay Tony or The Lost and the Damned? 
No, even though I've heard they're fantastic, I was completely, I was completely soured and burnt out on the the main game, so I never revisited it. On and I kind of do regret that a bit in hindsight. It's a shame because Liberty City is fucking fantastic as an environment, and I think if Liberty City had the same environment that they had in Los Santos, I I I think I would prefer it. But just because it's kind of like New York has that, like every street in New York is just it looks like a film basically it has that real kind yeah. of picturesque vibe but the um they did such a good job with those chapters like the lost and the damned if you're kind of a show of um oh, what's that motorbike gang show that everybody loves with like sam crow sons of anarchy sons of anarchy like if you're a sons of anarchy fan like you would have found that really cool and the ballad of gay tony is like everything about the wacky side of gta that we didn't necessarily get in the story of no, that was because because that was one of the reasons i bounced off it was like it was the kind of uh i think yahtzee at the time on zero punctuation was like pointing out that it was really the zenith of the uh gray brown gritty uh sort sure. of aesthetic people were going for around that time yeah it's kind of like when everyone goes back to like 2007 2008 and every pop song has like an auto-tuned T-Pain featuring spot. <laughs> and everyone's going to be like, "What? Yeah. why did people think this sounded good? <laughs> or like that Absolutely. period where Lil John was just on loads of songs just shouting at the top of his yeah! voice. Yeah! <laughs> exactly. Turn down for what, my friend? Turn down for what? <laughs> We've had a, a 4.0 firmware, firmware upgrade to the Nintendo Switch, uh, which adds video capture for four games uh so the total um it seems to be a kind of like okay we'll we'll roll out this feature slowly um so legend of zelda mario kart deluxe splatoon 2 and arms all have uh some video capture capabilities i've seen some of the videos going around on on the tweet machine this week so that's that's pretty cool um that that's finally rolling out do you think this um, is just a really it's... sneaky monetization ploy for nintendo because it's like well people gonna upload these then we can yeah. content id claim them and then we can make money off them and it's another I, revenue I, stream i i respect the hell out of your cynicism friend i really do <laughs> um my my whole thing on like video capture is that like platform holders should make it as easy as possible because people posting short clips on twitter of how much fun they're having on a game is just free advertisement yeah it is you know what I mean? Which is why I, I, I'm, I go crazy about developers who are just like, no, don't share. Like, you know, this thing that was going on with Persona 5 during the year where it was like, oh, uh, it's because we're worried about spoilers. But um, after the first couple of days in the game, don't share anything or we're going to take it down. It's like, no, you want people to go, oh, look how crazy Persona 5 is. I want to get that. Was that the game you that know? were banning even live, live streams of their game? Yeah, 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 that's yeah. it. Uh, to this day still, I believe, the Bioshock HD collection on PlayStation 4 has video capture and streaming of any kind blocked. Oh, it's so Which tone is, deaf. It's, it's insane. Yeah, I know. Especially because, like, the first one of those games in that HD collection came out a decade ago. Jeez, it's man. like, who doesn't, like, who, like, who follows the industry close enough to be looking up people's gameplay streams on Twitch? Who doesn't know what the twist in the Bioshock game is? Or Bioshock Infinite, you know? It's like, come on. Like you said, tone deaf. Yeah, exactly. Luke's uh, father is Darth Vader. That was the twist, and we all know. Hmm. 
Um, there's still no sign in this update of uh, heading towards cloud backup for game saves, which is a thing people are crying out for. Uh, other new features added in the update includes the ability to pre-purchase certain Switch games from the console's digital eShop, which should have been there from the beginning, really. Um, I don't think they deserve to put that as a feature. Like, the fact that that wasn't there was criminal. Giving us basic... Like, I will say, they have massively overhauled the eShop system from Wii U, so any small crumbs we're getting, fine. Once they don't absolutely fuck it. Those Nintendo shops have always been fucking trash. Oh, mate, the the 3DS shop. Uh, Let's uh, let's not reopen this, because we could end up in a a whole new feature here. Sure. but you can also update nearby users' game versions over local wireless more easily uh, via a new match version with local users' options. So, like, if I have the latest firmware or software uh, downloaded on my thing, uh, we can go by local wireless. But your Switch, if, say, the Wi-Fi at your home isn't as uh, up-to-date, that you can go, oh, I'll download the patch from him rather than over my Wi-Fi, which is a, that's a pretty cool little thing. Uh, Switch's news app has been tweaked, so unsubscribing from a news channel now removes its stories. Uh, I have never, I've never really interacted with that news app. I just app see the dots. To, like, do you see like yeah, the little I'll, blue dot, and you're like, oh god, click on yeah. these to get rid of that. I'll periodically click into it just to get rid of it, but I'll never read anything. And finally, there are new profile icons to to use, uh, which uh, include uh, characters from Breath of the Wild, Odyssey, and the Mario Kart. T-Rex. You've buried the 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 lead a little bit on this though, Dave, because if you've oh, seen what they've snuck in and not really told anybody about that's kind of been unearthed like the day or two after this update came out. Uh, I must have skipped... Oh, yes. This is the, at the top of the story that, that I have you linked here. Uh, the update has stealthily added USB headphone support, including for wireless headphones. You will still, however, need a USB to USB-C headphone adapter while playing in portable mode. Well, there's that, but there's also the fact that they added backwards compatibility with the Wii U's uh, little gadget that you could get to plug GameCube controllers in. Oh yes, I did see that, and I do have one of those. So do I. Um, yeah, please it was just this... give us Virtual Console GameCube games, please. Oh my! Like if they just like in the new year, their first Switch Direct is like, oh, Super Smash Brothers Melee, and a bunch of different yeah, GameCube games drop. Dash, oh man, Mario Sunshine. Oh, Mario Sunshine for like that could reinvent itself for a whole new generation i love the have fact you, that is it giant bomb who are doing the yes steal, steal my, my sunshine, sunshine. Which, have you been way, watching that it's fantastic by the way great song by the band lem as well yes um but that's cool because i i really liked that game at the time so do i and i remember like being around my friend drewman's house and just watching him play it and the first like 10 minutes i was like oh this is fucking stupid but then i watched him play it for like half an hour and i was like oh, i i have to buy this now like immediately and find a way <laughs> to get this into my gamecube um so yeah like that that would just be so cool i mean it's almost certainly not going to happen in the next two years but i mean i would love it to happen please please do that nintendo uh, Gran Turismo has topped uh, the UK charts in its first week of sales. Um, the game, from what a lot of people who are playing it are saying, is pretty unremarkable. Uh, it, it seems like it's it's not a... You should really focus on sport being in that title rather than the next canonical numbered Gran Turismo because it's not your your full Gran Turismo experience. Um, this isn't which the first time they've done this. Some so. people. 
Because they did um, this on the PS3, didn't they? With um, what, yeah, Gran Turismo. Like, what was it? It was like twenty quid. Pre-lo- uh, prologue. Prologue. Yeah. Yeah. Four or five. Um, these games are very, very popular. Uh, the, the Gran Turismo games to the extent where even though it's not a full Gran Turismo game, uh, even though it hasn't really got the best critical reception, it it tripled the launch sales of Forza Seven in its first week. Not shocked. Which is, like, Forza apparently has been a big misstep this year as well, but, like, as established a racing franchise as Forza is uh, these days, uh, Gran Turismo is still the the, the big kahuna. Uh, Are you a a Gran Turismo fan? I I used to be um, back in the day. I remember getting the first Gran Turismo for my PlayStation and, like, switching it on and lose control by Ash just started echoing out of the, the speakers on my TV. And I just went, I, like, I, as a wrestling term would use, I popped huge uh, because I <laughs> loved Ash at the time and stuff. And I, yeah. I just remember playing that and it was, like, a really awesome soundtrack and doing all the licenses so I could unlock all the cars. And it, it, it I loved it. And yeah. I played Gran Turismo 2 and a bit of Gran Turismo 3. And then I just kind of... Lost it a bit, I think. I just, in general, I, I, th- there aren't many racing games that, aside from, like, Mario Kart or, like, Wipeout, maybe, or, like, F-Zero, mm. that I just get into now. I, yeah. I can't take the super realistic element of it. Yeah. I was a big Need for Speed Underground fan. Yeah. The see, first one. See, that I was cool that. as well. And, like, one of the things I love about Grand Theft Auto Five when you get, like, the customs place is you yeah. can customize your car for free any way that you mm. want it. So to yeah. me, that kind of rekindled a bit of that love of like, you know, I remember when I used to do this in Need for Speed and like add all the <laughs> components to the car and you could afford it and then, you know, roll in there with a banger and roll out with something that looks like it should be rolling around Essex, you know, with Westwood going, I pimped your <laughs> ride, dog. So, yeah. <laughs> I'll give you my, uh, my my quick Gran Turismo story here before we go, because I think I'll, I'll cut these last couple of small news stories off and we'll go straight into release dates. But my uh, my <laughs> interaction, my, my favorite interaction with the Gran Turismo series was uh, when I was but a young lad, Jack, uh, I went to now defunct rental chain Extravision. And I wasn't Ooh. looking to rent a game this weekend. I, I rented the cinematic epic that was mean machine starring vinnie jones <laughs> and, and danny I dyer bro- don't forget about danny uh, dyer. indeed and jason statham and i brought that film home to watch excitedly because i I loved the football jack and i opened it and out came the mean machine disc but in behind it was the disc for gran turismo 3 oh cool and when i brought back mean machine to extra vision I just brought back Mean Machine. Yeah, you little thief. Love it. And and then a couple of years ago, when Extra Vision shut down, I went, it's because of people like me. It is. There's that, that kind of mild pang of, like, distant guilt. Do you know what? <laughs> Someone at Netflix would would put out a statement after it fell and it was just like, wow, it's nothing to do with us. It was all those people that were stealing the discs. Just completely <laughs> switching it away from the yeah. real person that caused the problems. All their fault, that's for sure. Um, that's the end of the news for this week. And uh, we're going to shift into uh, the little feature in the show that we like to call the release date roundup. Woo! 
We've only got a couple of things to talk about very briefly this week, Jack. Nothing's uh, we coming got... out this week, Dave. There's like, oh, no, no it's, it's important very quiet. coming out no at all. No entertainment properties Nothing whatsoever being whatsoever, released this no. week. Uh, we finally got a release date for Dragon Ball Fighters, uh, which... I think has been really with its visual style particularly but uh, people who've got hands on with it say that it's very good as well um, it's a new Dragon Ball fighting game is fighters uh, f- really spelled with a Z at the end it, it sure is my I'm friend I'm out straight away then <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it will be released uh, on the 26th of January 2018 so that's probably your, your first big release of 2018 there uh, there was that a Dragon think, Ball fr- game before wasn't there like a fighting Dragon Ball game yes Jack there have been many of them i remember playing one again around my friend drewman's house and it just looked absolutely miserable like you know where you can pick up yeah. tekken and you could just immediately yeah. start kicking people in the face they were doing all this stuff and charging the saiyan and i yeah. was just like i just i hate everything about this the, this one now looks like it, it's at the point with the technology now where we can actually get one that looks like a moving episode of the cartoon it's just now the the problem is it, it if it comes out it, it needs to be easily playable and like you said not just like completely imperceptible um, i mean that would have yeah. been great in 2001 i'm sure they would have sold a lot of copies but <laughs> yeah damn right i can't imagine oh, that that oh jack <laughs> that that dragon ball community is is more frighteningly large than you could possibly imagine still for, even to this day for reals is it because they did that weird parody voiceover thing of dragon ball z on oh dragon ball z abridged is the greatest it's the greatest yeah i again this is another thing where mark has sat with his yeah. headphones in while in public with other people yeah, he's watching do, he, on oh his phone. yeah yeah he's done he's done that with me as well he, he, he in it. fact made me while we were hanging out with friends he made me go into the corner and watch it with him for a while because he wouldn't stop talking about it um and i hadn't seen it but let's talk about the, the big releases for this week and that, that something we're very much looking forward to and i imagine will form the centerpiece of myself and mark's discussions next week and that is this friday super mario odyssey and wolfenstein 2 the new colossus are Wolf, coming out my friend how how where, where are your hype levels at for mario at the moment oh dude i i just can't wait to get my hands on this game i i i'm so excited i really am everything i've I, seen of it it just looks oh. so much fun and that the couple of reviews that that have come out so far as well are indicating that this is this is a real special game um and could finally muddy the waters of what was looking like a relatively straightforward game of the year argument yeah um uh, and that's not to in any way uh, kind of decry Wolfenstein 2 the new colossus which everything i've seen of that as well looks absolutely amazing um, and boy, a lot of people are remarking on this, so this isn't really a new take to have. Boy, have they really looked into the the cultural zeitgeist in terms of the the way they're advertising this game? Like, who would have thought, as Austin Walker said, like when that first Wolfenstein reboot game a couple of years ago came out? Like when that came out, it was like, oh, do we really need another Nazi game? Nazis are so <laughs> passe in the past, and now it's like Wolfenstein Two is out, and it's like the fucking nazis are back we need that catharsis now of being able to shoot the nazis um so there have been like this uh i don't know if you've seen these short viral things going around on twitter which is just like how to deal with a nazi and it's bj blaskowitz just punching a nazi in the face and it just goes there is only one side wolfenstein 2 27th of october <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. that is very good 
Yeah, they I'd couldn't, say they couldn't have asked for much better than that. Like, uh, uh, can they? Uh, I'd be quite happy if they anachronistically put uh, tiki torches into these games as well, <laughs> for no real reason. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. And there's also a thing that I I, I nearly slid into the the news stories, but I, I was gonna I'm now gonna mention in connection with this is that uh, to add to its possibility that this could also be a cat amongst the game of the year pigeons, Bethesda came out today uh, and kind of in stark contrast to what EA are doing with their games, they went, no, we're not adding a multiplayer version to Wolfenstein Two. That'd ruin it. Okay, so they pulled the old Sony. <laughs> Yeah. We'll just lend the game to our friends kind of gimmick. Yeah, yeah. They totally they they I think the exact phrase was it would dilute the experience of Wolfenstein 2 if we just shoved a multiplayer mode in. Yeah, I mean if they put one this is the thing with multiplayer services, right? If you put one in like six months after, I prefer that. Like yeah. you can do you can do a multiplayer thing, but I if I'm playing Wolfenstein I do just wanna go in and run around a castle, view like ridiculous takes on 1940s history and most importantly kill some shitty nazis so damn right Thumbs my up. friend uh let's move now into the length cast book club that feature we do every week on the show where uh we talk about a game from the past that either you should play again if it's been a while or you should pick up for the first time if you haven't already and this week is a real special one because we're going to talk about metal gear solid 3 snake eater yeah what a thrill with darkness and silence through the night what a thrill I'm searching and I'll Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater is an action-adventure stealth video game produced by Konami <coughs> for the PlayStation 2. It was released in late 2004 in North America and Japan, then in early 2005 in Europe and Australia. It was the fifth Metal Gear game written and directed by Hideo Kojima and serves as a prequel to previous installments. Set in 1964, three decades before the event of the original Metal Gear game, uh, the story centers on Fox operative codenamed Naked Snake as he attempts to rescue a Russian rocket scientist by the name of Nikolai Stepan- uh, Stepanovich Sokolov, sabotage an experimental superweapon and assassinate his defected former boss. While previous games were set in a primarily urban environment, Snake Eater adopts a 1960s Soviet jungle setting with high-tech near-future trappings of previous Metal Gear Solid games being replaced with the wilderness. 
While the setting has changed, the game's focus remains on stealth and infiltration, while retaining the series' self-referential, fourth-wall-breaking sense of humour. The story of Snake Eater is told through numerous cutscenes and radio conversations. Considered one of the greatest video games of all time, Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater received praise for its story, gameplay, graphics, setting, characters and ending, as well as departures from series conventions. Jack... They're, they're one of the many reasons we light the bat signal to bring you on this show is to talk Metal Gear. And it's appropriate that the third Metal Gear game that we induct into our book club here is Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, which I think is probably now with the benefit of hindsight because we did that Metal Gear Solid 5 book club around the time that both of us had just freshly played it. Yeah. And now, given the the couple of years, let it all ruminate and then see where it stands. I I still think Snake Eater is probably my favorite uh, Metal Gear game. I, I do think as 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 a game, as as a thing you interact with, Metal Gear Solid Five is probably better in terms of its just raw mechanics. But I still think there's a special place in my heart for Snake Eater that the other Metal Gear games d- don't have. Um, where is your kind of did you get this game when it came out what's your history with this game yes that's where we'll kick things off i immediately purchased this game when it came out <laughs> you're goddamn right uh yeah so this would, would have come out just around the time that i would have got like my first job um i yeah i bought this game i if not the day then the day after maybe that it came out from uh, from the sainsbury's that i worked in funnily enough uh, and yeah i spent the next two or three days basically if there was any time i was in my house that i wasn't eating or in the shower i was playing this game and i just Mm -hmm. absolutely loved every minute of it and i still do and you know you kind of talk about how there are probably aspects of maybe the gameplay or the controls that i hear everybody complaining about that you might get Mm -hmm. better in other metal game metal gear games but this as a body of work, if you want to put on the Yahtzee Crucial Games of Art hat, I've got to say, in terms of a piece of, of of art, this is the best Metal Gear Solid game. Everything about it is absolutely great. The aesthetic is perfect. The, mm-hmm. the sound design, the, the camouflage system, I absolutely love. Like it, you know... There are so many stealth games, and Metal Gear Solid was always kind of the premiere of those that had yeah. like the, their own mechanics co- and this co- was come a really at me sam fisher <laughs> yeah this is a really interesting take on on moving stealthily for an environment like you know they kind of leaned on the crutches of those those bases with the cameras and the tech and all of that sort of thing yeah. and like while there are elements of tech in this game it just the majority of the time you're just out in the middle of the jungle and it kind of gives that real sort of survival element to it as mm. well yeah so i i yeah, if from a aesthetic point of view, this game is definitely my favourite. We talk about the origins of this game. So you and I, 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 I think we both agree that even though I, I'm pretty sure we both do quite enjoy it, we we also concede the point that uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 is an, is an oft-maligned game. Um, it, it's the one that even hardcore metal gear fans have a hard time justifying i still like um, it a lot though. yeah that's the that's the thing i i like it quite a lot but the two the two of us are are well and truly on the kojima bandwagon i, I think um but some of the things that that game did rub people the wrong way uh including the, the kind of bait and switch with snake and raiden 
um, but we won't kind of <laughs> we'll save Metal Gear Solid 2 for another day long, long down the line um, so it was important uh, Hideo Kojima has gone on record as saying that like he thought what he was doing in Metal Gear Solid 2 was genuinely uh, inventive and playing with the conventions of what people would expect from a Metal Gear Solid sequel uh, and kind of when it came out and he watched people like really brush against some of the things he was doing he felt like he had the bit between his teeth like a point to prove with this third Metal Gear Solid game so some of the things he did with it um it's a bold uh move isn't it to go so far back in the timeline from the, the near future to the 1960s um the, the plan was originally to set it in uh, 1963, which was the year that Kojima was born, but he wanted to get the Kennedy assassination uh, <laughs> referenced in the game. So he moved it forward to 1964 because of that. Um, talk about like how, how, how appealing, because I know it was very appealing to me, how appealing to you was it that instead of playing Solid Snake, who was the this icon of the of the first two games, you're going back and you're playing as the, the man who would later become Big Boss. I think it's great because, you know, one of the many criticisms that people have of Metal Gear Solid games, and, you know, by the way, just, you know, before we talk about anything else to do with anything related to Metal Gear Solid, things don't have to be perfect sometimes things can be a little bit weird they could be rough around the edges they can do things that make no sense but that doesn't mean that you don't love something for all of its imperfections which i think is like at the heart of of most metal gear solid fans like yeah. you can kind of see the shortcomings sometimes the, the rough diamonds but it doesn't matter yeah exactly like when you listen to like fucking nirvana and there's like a bum note or whatever if they're playing live like you don't care because they're playing a thousand miles an hour and you're loving I'll it. tell you what you are going to infuriate Mark by comparing Metal Gear Solid to Nirvana. <laughs> Why do you think I did it? Anyway. <laughs> you have hit a raw nerve there. <laughs> anyway um, I thought after you hear a lot about Big Boss in Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Solid 2 like there's references and I never played Metal Gear and Metal Gear 2 up to this point because I really had no way of, of obtaining those games when I was a kid, nor did I really yeah. do much research on them. So, you know, whenever I hear Big Boss or whatever, I, I just imagine, like, a guy in, like, a suit with a big must, basically J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> is what I'm trying to drive at. So I, I thought that was really cool. These Metal Gears are out of control. <laughs> Metal Gear terrorize a city i want it on the front page now <laughs> um so yeah i thought it was it was really awesome to be able to delve into it and i'm i'm a sucker for i don't know about you dave but i love an exploration of a wider universe it you know we're both big yeah. kevin smith fans and you uh-huh. know he makes silly comedy movies but like there's a feeling of a wider universe that links everything the, the, together that kind the, of the kind of connective tissue yeah it, it kind of enables that rabid fandom almost because yeah. you're getting all of the blanks filled in and i i just think that yeah. kojima there takes are... and i mean possibly he, he takes way 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 too much of his own universe <laughs> seriously <laughs> yeah but you can tell that and, and and it's just all the way through all of Hideo Kojima's games, the attention to detail in in like not just coloring in the universe, but shading the universe and bringing the universe to life is great. And to have a guy that 
is kind of central to the mythology of what Solid Snake is as the yeah. main character of this game does make it all the more appealing to a Metal Gear I, fan. I, I, I think one of the things that's, that's funny, a parallel to draw, considering the era this game came out in, is the inherent fascination in Metal Gear Solid 3 with that I'm playing as this guy who eventually becomes Big Boss. You know he eventually becomes the villain of the piece in later games. And there's a there's a fascination to be had in, well, you know, where does the corruption come in? Like, where does he start turning and become this this big boss character that we know from the previous games? Um, and it's kind of funny because this was coming out in the mid-2000s and another popular entertainment saga that was attempting to kind of do the same thing were the Star Wars prequels. And they did not really go the same way in terms of quality. <laughs> As the Metal Gear games no, with their prequels. It was kind of like, quickly. yeah, it's like, I'm going to be moody for two films and then kill a bunch of children. <laughs> I was like, oh, excellent no story days. pacing. Younglings. Yeah, younglings in the temple. Um, <sighs> but yeah, the, the two, so the two, um, two of the inspirations for this game, I love this. So like uh, Kojima Productions, uh, when they were kind of under, still under the auspices of Konami before all that blew up uh, a couple of years ago, they used to, in between games, they would go on these trips around the world and try and kind of like, they were kind of creative getaways, kind of recharge the batteries and think of different ideas uh, for a new game. And while they were away in the kind of wake of Metal Gear Solid 2, um, they were they were watching movies one night and they watched a little film, Jack, called Predator. <laughs> sure. And Hideo Kojima was besotted with this idea of jungle camouflage, stealth, tense kind of action. Um, and then kind of they, they had started putting together this idea for a Metal Gear game based in a jungle setting. And the the composer for the previous games who had done like a, a sterling work uh, in terms of creating the because I think that the music is a, is a big part of these these Metal Gear games. Uh, Harry Gregson Williams had kind of said to Kojima, he's like, no, I am completely. And this was independent of him knowing that this idea was already under consideration. He had said to Kojima, "Is like I, I'm bored doing these kind of industrial espionage soundtracks." And he went so far as to say, without knowledge, he said, "I will only do another of these games if it's in a jungle." <laughs> no way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. He went. He said this, and Kojima said, "Well, if you insist, we'll do it in a jungle." And until the game came out. Uh, Harry Gregson Williams was under the impression that he was the key deciding factor in making it a jungle based <laughs> game. And then the game came out and Kojima went, Oh no, we were already thinking about the jungle. <laughs> oh, I never would have told him that. Or like, I would have yeah. waited for like years to tell him that. <laughs> but, um, one of the things you, you hit on there, Jack, and you're talking about like a wider expanded universe. One of the things that, uh, keeps people coming back to this Metal Gear franchise, keeps people talking about it, is the story. And I think this is probably, in the series, the most perfectly crafted story. Um, yeah, and of, until of the end of it, I yeah. have to say that I, yeah, I think this made the most sense. The kind of point of what you're doing all the way through the game is pretty much it's, it's easy to comprehend, which is a lot more than yeah. you can say for some Metal Gear games. Yeah, so you have the idea that, um, you know, on, on a mission at the start of the game, you find out that um, you're, the boss, who is the, the, the woman who trained you, very much a maternal figure to Naked Snake, uh, had 
betrayed you and and kind of allied with ocelot and the, the kind of the the new supernatural villain of the peas volgan um and your task now is to find sokolov destroy shagohad the 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 kind of embryonic metal gear program yeah. and then uh also kill the boss and that whole arc with the boss uh throughout this game is incredible i think yeah i, I think things get a little bit smudged at the end although i do think the kind of poignant emotion that runs through that ending is great oh um, no i i liked it i kind of yeah. liked it up to the point where it got crazy. Spoilers, by the way. Like, yeah, su- super spoilers for the ending of the game. Boss dies um, at the hand of Naked Snake, who then goes on to become Big Boss. Um, yeah, the be- president confers upon him the title of Big Boss. Yeah, because she had defected uh, to the USSR, because this is set during the height of the Cold War. Um like Cuban Missile Crisis just like was only a couple of years averted, removed yeah yeah averted a few years before uh, as we know by the cast of X-Men First Class they're the ones who stopped <laughs> it um, I've been at the mercy of men following orders <laughs> exactly and then you're just gonna drive a coin through someone's brain um so I oh sorry I completely lost track of myself there the, the ending yeah so the USSR she defected and but then you kind of find out after he killed her that like he needed to do that to make it look like it was like this big victory for America when in actual fact she'd been a double agent and she'd yeah been... she her mission was to die at his hands yeah that was kind of her mission to make it look like America had got this big win and averted this massive nuclear crisis and it, gotten one up on the soviets yeah but it got a bit messy when it was like well the, the girl that you're saving in the game eva you know she defected from the russians to you and then you find out she was working for china she yeah she was trying to steal the philosopher's legacy yeah which is a bunch of like access <laughs> we, we may get into the philosopher's legacy in greater detail when we do mgs4 solid four which is access to like these big massive like wads of cash stored in presumably offshore accounts worldwide (laughs) and this was like a map to half of it that she'd nicked off you but then and then you found out ocelot who was working for the americans but then he was a double agent for the ussr <laughs> but then he wasn't because he was actually a triple agent the whole time yeah. and was still That's, working i think for America. one of my one of my favorite tropes of the series is just ocelot, ocelot attempting to work all angles in one game like what well, yeah exactly what even is ocelot that's the, the one question i have to you dave is what is yeah. ocelot he's great but uh at least in this game at least in this game he isn't liquid ocelot which again we'll get into in greater detail (laughs) um but yeah what 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 is what is ocelot like i remember what uh playing metal gear solid 5 every time i would have a mission that involved a lot of talking to ocelot i was like right this is where the other shoe is gonna drop I am just constantly waiting. Like, I have got this pathological fear of Ocelot betraying me at all times. He is the Vince Russo of the of the Metal Gear Solid yeah. thing, where it's just like, when you really think you know what's going to happen, then, like, there's a swerve, but then there's usually a yeah. swerve within a swerve. And My... My my second uh, little interesting tidbit here um, revolves around Ocelot, actually, and that's um, because this game is a prequel and we know Ocelot 
is in game set in the future. If during this game you happen to kill Ocelot, um, up pops in kind of like Russian Cyrillic style writing on the screen, Ocelot is dead. And that, that Ocelot in, is dead then kind of fades into the phrase time paradox. And Campbell berates you for creating a time paradox. <laughs> kind of bust, busting clean through the fourth wall. But uh, creating a time paradox in and of itself is a Back to the Future reference. And it's a double reference to Back to the Future because in the Japanese version of Snake Eater, Campbell's voice actor is the guy who did the voice acting for Doc Brown in the Japanese dub of the Back to the Future movies. Oh, mate, that is just fucking <laughs> fantastic. I am so yeah. happy that that <laughs> just lines up like that. Uh, yeah, this is the perfect. sort of thing that the sort of crazy shit that Kojima talks in talks uh, talk, puts into any of his games and like adds yeah. in there. Like, this this is just, what you mean by like he puts too much investment into his own bullshit. Can we like, just that's, talk that's about a perfect the, example. the bosses in this game? Yes, and and that's that's another point. So there, are these bosses from this ocelot unit throughout the game, and I will hand over to you immediately. Um, the the naming convention for them because they all have these kind of just melodramatic names throughout it. <laughs> yeah, and the the point behind it all was to uh, evoke memories of the um the emotions of people in wartime so you have the sorrow the pain the fear the end uh and boss who is th- then kind of goes by the code name the joy um you also have the fact that the the end before i hand off to you the end in the original drafts of the script was going to be called the doom which is even more melodramatic than the end but uh talk to me about some of these they, like even for metal gear some of the boss battles in this are bananas they are absolutely the wackiest uh, uh, of any game i think i've ever played have you ever had bosses where you just think what the fuck was that all about <laughs> like I, I genuinely have no idea but i loved it like i really did like obviously you fight ocelot and ocelot seems to be the first boss in a couple of the mgs games so like once you get over that like then there's like a guy who's firing like wasps and bees at you who like whose face and body is just covered in bee stings and it's like he kind of looks like a fleshy version of the thing from fantastic four yeah where his whole body and face are raised up and and then there's the the fear which is without question the most irritating uh bad guy in any game because he keeps repeating the word fear over and over again while he flits around you in the treetops in a circle and you gotta hit him firing arrows at you with a weapon that would be really cool to have but you never actually get uh yeah, yeah so aside from aside from the fear you've got the end which you can you can actually kill this is one of the coolest things uh, yeah to me in any so game this, this- this, I think, is the Metal Gear Solid 3 equivalent of when you are fighting Psycho Mantis and have to change the control ports. This is the kind of, like, Kojima is just fucking with the player sort of thing in this game. But continue. Yeah, so you're looking at uh, a conversation between some people. And so the, 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 the end's gimmick is that he's this old sniper dude who has, like, no energy, but he saves himself for like these long protracted sniper battles which by the way you will get into unless you take this option so snake is observing this conversation from from miles away and i think two people are standing in front of the end in his wheelchair and because he's viewing this conversation through the scope of a sniper rifle 
you can then oh no it's through like a glass glasses isn't it and then you can choose to get your sniper rifle out and before you actually end up facing the end you can shoot him mid kind of conversation cutscene, and then you won't have to face him the, yeah, you'll just face some ocelot troops. You just instead. face some troops. You just go into an area and it's kind of on alert, and you take down the troops. So, like, you know how many games where you look at things and it's like, why didn't, why couldn't I have just dealt with that at this point? Why have I then got to wait for this specific time for then I get to yeah. fight the bus? Or any movie where you're like, oh, why didn't James Bond just shoot that henchman of the bad guy after 15 minutes of the film rather than waiting yeah. all the way to the end to push him off a train or something? And you yeah. could actually just fucking do that, which is really, really cool. But if you the... do choose to do that, you rob yourself of one of the most interesting boss battles yeah. and like Cause... real wars of attrition that you're ever going to the... have. The whole thing that you discover is that the, the, the plan for the end is that he actually wants to die in combat. So he he's trying to trank you and you're trying to kill him because he doesn't want to kind of like go out from old age because he is, an, like you said, an elderly, infirmed man. And the way he wants to go out is kind of like the, this old kind of uh, idea that, that kind of comes from Japanese culture of dying with honor. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's this, the area that you fight at the end in because it's a sniper battle but it's so vast and he kind of could be anywhere. Like there are ways and means of tracking him with like goggles and like you follow his footsteps and stuff. And, you know, you can sneak up on him and kind of beat him up. But like, it's just a really cool concept because the only other sniper battles that you had in the game, like Sniper Wolf and Metal Gear Solid 1 or whatever, like that that yeah. person is acutely aware of where you are at all times and you know where they are because they're running in their specific pattern. The end... Yeah could be anywhere in any of these three areas at any time and the only thing that usually gives them away if you're not using goggles is like the glint of like a sniper scope and if you see that it could be too late for you like he's already gonna fire at you i was getting uh real throwbacks to this fight uh during the the sniper battle with quiet in metal gear solid 5 as well which I, i think was quite evocative of this because it was again like you said it wasn't quite as difficult but it was over a really fucking unreasonably broad arena the difference being that in metal gear solid 5 if you just don't fancy it you can call in airstrikes yeah yeah but also you can see her movements quite clearly the end is wearing ridiculous levels of camo and he's just in a jungle like in one of the Mm -hmm. most heavily wooded areas and i I think that's really cool and the other one One the the, the other thing that uh, i was going to mention as a way to kill him is if you saved mid-fight against the end and you either let a week go by before you picked up the game again or you literally just set your system clock a week forward, the end just dies of old age (laughs) during the fight. And then you get this really hilarious call from the major just being like, you fucking idiot. He took too long (laughs) and he just died on on his own. Um, the another great story from production was that in the kind of conception of this uh, uh, fight with the end, Kojima's original idea was like, I want this fight to go on for weeks, <laughs> and his team went away and then came back to him. I just kind of had to calmly sit him down and went, "That is not physically possible." <laughs> yeah. So no. <laughs> just chill out, mate. Just just maybe just have a week or something. But yeah, yeah. I, I also really enjoy it. And it is one of the creepiest 
um, boss fights in any MGS game is the Sorrow, which yeah. isn't really a boss fight. It's like a walk down like a haunted pathway where now you can choose to go through the game with non-lethal and just trank everybody and have done with it. But the the more soldiers you kill when you're walking down this like haunted pathway yeah. against this boss, th- like you see the the bodies like lifeless yeah. like ghost bodies of all the soldiers that you've murdered in the this, game th- coming back to haunt you. That and that seemingly came from the um the kind of Japanese version of what we know as like the the river sticks the the purgatory kind of thing the lost yeah. souls uh in between here and the afterlife and yeah it is it's like I think it was the creepiest thing I'd seen in a Metal Gear Solid until game five. until that yeah. that opening chapter of five or that scene with in five with the the children in the hospital. Oh yeah. Oh. Before you fight uh Volgan. Um yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Spo- spoiler, but if you had ever seen the man on fire in Metal Gear Solid 5, it is patently obvious that it's Volgan. Yeah, exactly. He uh yeah, and he happens to be one of the bosses in this game and that's kind of like a really cool I I really enjoyed the Metal Gear fight in this game like in you know, you battle the way through this jungle and then you've got like this open area fight and then there's like a rail shooter element afterwards when you're trying to escape, if I'm, mm. if I'm correct. And yeah, I just think all of the boss battles in this game are just like, there's so many different ideas and like ways yeah. of going about the fights and mechanics and stuff. And that's one thing that Metal Gear Solid always gets spot on. It's not like, oh, mm. jump at this point, jump at this point and then shoot. Like, there are bosses that have patterns, but there are also bosses where it kind of encourages you to be a bit more tactical and think about it. Yeah, there, when you beat a boss in a Metal Gear Solid game, um, you feel like you've been through something, but, it, like, you've actually accomplished something, but not so much, like, it's not challenging to the point of, say, like, a Dark Souls boss, uh, with the exception of, I think the only one that I could compare to a Dark Souls boss is that... Uh, that fight in Metal Gear Solid 5 with the skulls on the airstrip. Oh, God, that can just go to hell straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, do you know what oh I always my found God. really tricky was MGS2 when you've got... If you're in a harder difficulty where you've got to fight the helicopter on that bridge mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know, every, like, like sh- bullet and every shell will take, like, half your life and you fire a rocket at it and it will take, like, maybe... Five percent of the health of the rock of the yeah. helicopter, and you're like, oh god, this could just fuck off immediately. Yeah. Uh, and then, like you said, the the the, the game's ending uh, is is very like it, I really love the kind of emotion that goes into uh, and how it sets up future games and what big bosses' actions are. The idea that he figured out his government made him kill his mentor. Yeah. Um, I, one of the random bits where it kind of goes a bit to hell is you know when they're getting they're, they're kind of evacking uh, at the end of the game and all of a sudden fucking Ocelot hops onto the helicopter and just goes you and me one on one two revolvers one bullet yeah and then he just goes 
oh, it was a blank anyway. And then just jumps out of the jumps fucking helicopter, helicopter. And you're like, yeah. what the fuck was that? What was the point in any of that? Yeah, that that's a Kojima moment where... Yeah, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a very much Ocelot moment. Like, that's just Ocelot in a nutshell. It's just like weird, random, pointless crap, but I laughed. Dude's fucking crazy. Um, Ocelot yeah. is the most screw-loose, bizarre character. But let's go back to that boss thing. And, and the last boss is obviously the boss. That that environment that you fight the boss in. Oh my god! With like the sort of white kind of lily leaf field and everything, it's just it was. This game is on the PS2, and I that is one of the most beautiful environments I've I've seen in a video game. Yeah. Like that 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 little arena bit that that takes place in is just picturesque, and the the <clears throat> sound and music that swells in through there is just oh, it's amazing yeah um the the one final thing i i want to talk about in this game and i saved particularly for the end no pun intended is the music yes (laughs) (laughs) is the theme to snake eater one of the greatest themes in the history of video games i mean it's it's not even a question it's just where you would rank it the theme to this is the best james bond theme you've ever heard not soundtrack a james bond movie well that's what uh recently i was on twitter with a friend of the show sean mcgee who was talking about the like this and i was like it's weird how this song is so good it manages to be a top five bond song yeah (laughs) and it is that that snake eater theme it's just it's perfect like the first time you hear that you just like i it just does something to you and every con- like r- resultant time i've heard snake eater it just this emotion just swells up in me yeah. of just all the moments from that game like remember mm. in metal gear solid 4 where you're doing the the final battle um against liquid and you do it with all of the different <laughs> control sequences from all of the metal gear games because yeah. kojima and like you get to the MGS3 bit and then you just hear the um, Snake Eater theme swell up. And you're yeah. just like, oh my God. Like you get so excited. But yeah, it's it's brilliant. Like even the line about um, eating a tree frog, which kind of sneaks into the lyrics somehow. <laughs> it doesn't even stand out and feel weird because it's just a brilliant piece of music. And yeah, it's up yeah. there with like, what I was thinking Dave earlier actually on the train home was, there's a lot of great um really iconic bits of music from video games but like actual original songs that have been created with lyrics and stuff i couldn't think of too many better than this or too many that would rival this the only other one that i would put like as like (laughs) one and one a um is still alive from the first portal game yeah damn right it's right up there it definitely is it occupies that that same kind of space in my brain and that same kind of playlist on my ipod that's for sure but it's because um, those two songs just work so perfectly um as a bookend yeah. to their respective games and yeah there's like a really cool original song in red dead um i can't remember what it's called now but like they'd mm. written it and like one of the guys that developed the game or something it was like part of the lyrics were about him and there's a, an unbelievable Final Fantasy X. So, like, one of the... the <laughs> oh, here he is. No, listen. <laughs> hitting, hitting all his high spots. So, in the opening sequence of Final Fantasy X, um, you're introduced to the game Blitzball, which is kind of like one of the main side games throughout the game. So, you, you meet your main character, and he plays for a team, 
and you just see him playing Blitzball, and then this genuinely rip-snorting riff starts up, and you're like, wow, okay. And it's a Nobuo Matsu song like that he's done, and it's a legit balls out rocking Metallica esque riff fest. <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's called like um Otherworld, I think. And yeah, that is that is one of those moments where you're just taken aback because I was taken aback by Snake Eater because I wasn't expecting the bondiness of it, and I was taken yeah. aback by um, Otherworld. That just slapped me around the chops the uh, first time the- I heard it. The, the theme to Snake Eater also is employed. One of my favorite things in this game is that it's confident enough to have pa- like kind of pauses between huge revelations and huge moments. So it's like huge thing happens and then you, you go for a while where you're walking through a corridor and nothing's happening so that you have time to kind of recover and contemplate what's just happened. And the, the, the popular one people slag it sometimes, but I think is great is that like what seems to be a never ending ladder you're climbing yeah, as the Snake the, Eater theme is yeah. playing. And it just swells and swells. It's just, it's it's fantastic. It's one of my favorite things about that game. I don't um, give a fuck about what anyone says. Like, you're not looking at the ladder. You are enjoying that song. Yeah. I think that, do you know what? I think that's one of the most horrifically self-indulgent moments in any video game of all time. But I unashamedly I mean, and unabashedly r- r- love r- every second of it. R- reserve such claims uh, putting such a title on something when we haven't done Metal Gear Solid 4 yet because self-indulgent is a term that comes to mind with some elements of that game for sure. Um, but the, the final thing just on the music and then I'll wrap this up um, is as well as the, the people get caught up in the Snake Eater theme and rightly so because it's fantastic as we just discussed but the other thing is like just the kind of bass soundtrack in that game like the the, the yeah. soundtrack that's going on for the minute to minute gameplay um, Super Bunny Hop who's a popular YouTuber does a really like an hour long deep dive into why this is one of his favourite games of all time and one of the things he points out that's really stuck with me uh, anytime I've I've looked at or played this game since is the idea that just from the soundtrack alone you know exactly what this game is like if you and he challenges people to like listen to just an excerpt of the the minute to minute soundtrack in this game and you can hear everything about this game so you can hear the 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 tones of the soundtrack that suggest okay right we're being stealthy here or this is an espionage game or you know there's intrigue or sadness and then there's also these kind of like some of the instrumental stuff is also clearly showing right this is a jungle environment and it's it's just it's really really cleverly done i think it's a fucking masterpiece and you know like you said about the guy that created it like he was genuinely excited about getting to create music for for a jungle-based yeah. game. So he put his heart and fucking soul into his work here. And it, it's amazing yeah. what a good soundtrack can, can do to a game. Like, remember we talked oh. about everybody, everybody's gone to the everybody's rapture. Everybody's gone to the rapture, yeah, which ago. I bought like, the vinyl for. It's just kind of a survival-y sort of open-world yeah. game. But what really made it jump out was the soundtrack. And yeah. Metal Gear Solid 3 is a great game in its own right that's made even better by the fact that you've just got this absolutely beautiful soundtrack and insanely good, like, title song. And, yeah, that the details in this game just do nothing but bring wave upon wave of nostalgia into my brain, which fills with dopamine, and I get a big stupid grin on my face. <laughs> 
Um, one of the, the very final point, because uh, it would be remiss of me not to very, very quickly mention these two things, is the hidden mini games within this uh, that include Snake versus Monkey, which are these couple, these, uh, I think it's five in the US version and seven or eight in the European and Japanese versions. Uh, levels where you are basically hunting down these little cartoonish monkeys in the jungle and each title is uh, named at, like as kind of a monkey parody name of a film that Kojima really likes that's fucking weird and I think the weirdest of all is that at one point when you're being tortured and you pass out you go into this other completely different game called Guy Savage which is this dual wielding swordsman fighting off other people with these also two weird swords and it just kind of continues until either you get through enough enemies or you die uh, and then you're just snapped back into the main and then story. You're back into the story, yeah. Yeah, and like the snake versus monkey thing there, it's been explained that like uh Kojima likes popping in homages or stuff like that. But from what I from my research around this game before we talked about it, to this day he hasn't explained what the whole Guy Savage thing was about. I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah, it's Kojima one of those things. Kojima is absolutely bonkers in the best possible way. Like his favorite yeah. Kevin Smith film to reference Kevin Smith again is Tusk, and I think that's all you need to know about Hideo <laughs> Kojima. Incredible, absolutely um, loved it. Right, Jack, uh, you know how we end these book club features, and seeing as you're the guest, I'll give you the office to do this. And this is the elevator pitch. You were hopping into an elevator on the ground floor. You're only going up a couple of levels with somebody they've never played Snake Eater before, and you have to very, very quickly tell them why they should play this game survival stealth game in the jungle where you live off snakes and other animals and at the same time are unraveling some sort of insane cold war plot to build a nuclear tank while doing it with a james bond-esque soundtrack and a gruff voice disappointed man carrying out the whole of the action and it fucking rules that should have been his code name disappointed man <laughs> it's just like snake always kind of seems pissed off about everything like, yeah. uh, david hater by the way i i don't know if you've ever mentioned it when we've done these but he's so great isn't he he's it's what makes it so sad that that Kiefer replaced him for reasons oh. that the internal logic of metal gear solid 5 tries to explain but doesn't really do justice to but uh yeah that's a, that's another talk for another day i think um yeah. We'll uh, wrap things up now. Mark is not here, so he can't tell me what his game is for next week. So stay tuned. It will be a mystery uh, for next week's show. Jack, I want to thank you for appearing on the show in my hour of need, or it would have been just me talking for two hours about Metal Gear, which I I suppose would be quite enjoyable for myself, at least. Dave, can you just Um, do me a favor as we're listening to this back? Can we just have the Snake Eater theme tune just gradually swelling up behind (laughs) us talking? Do you know what? I I can do that. I'm sure I can manage that. Um... But yeah, the um, Jack, do you have anything to plug before, we, uh, before I do the, do the go, traditional sign off? Just go play MGS3 again. I started playing through it again damn right. and it just made me so goddamn happy. And uh, oh, my... Also, I, my recommendation for a lot of people who, because uh, one of the complaints people have about this game is the fixed camera, uh, try get the subsistence version yeah. of Metal Gear Solid 3 if or, you want a free roaming camera for the most part. the remaster version also had the 3D camera as well. Yeah, which is available on PS3 and 360, yeah, so it would save you having to go back too far generation-wise. And if you've got a PSV, you can play it on there, which makes it even better. You can play it on the way to work. 
that is going to do it for Link to the Cast this week. This podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and most podcasting platforms. Just search for Link to the Cast, subscribe, rate, review. It all helps with that search engine optimization. Uh, link to the cast.eu is the website. If you want to get in touch with us, drop us an email at linktothecast at gmail.com. Social media, the probably the quickest place to keep up with myself and Mark and to get in touch with us and all that sort of good jazz. Social media, facebook.com forward slash link to the cast, at link to the cast on Twitter. I'm at Dave Ryan IV on Twitter. Mark is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lazell. Um, I won't go through the our, our video series on YouTube. Uh, they're all still kind of on hiatus at the moment while myself and Mark are kind of figuring out production schedules. Um, so just go over to YouTube, search for Link to the Cast, all one word or separately, uh, to have a look at all the archived content on there. There, there is some good stuff on there. Uh, so check that out. Uh, that's going to do it for Link to the Cast this week. I've been Dave Ryan. The man on the line to me here has been Jack Lazell. Hello, goodbye. <laughs> we shall see you all next week. Daishi's blower.